Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello there, and welcome to Circling the Bases, a baseball podcast from NBC Sports Edge. I am Chris Crawford, and I host this fine podcast every Thursday morning and bring in some smart folks from around the baseball industry to talk all things fantasy baseball and more. And thank you to those of you who are joining us live, be it on YouTube or Twitch. We really appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we thank you very much for however you are digesting this show. Won't waste any time. Let's bring in our special guest. You have read his work at Scout.com and Fangraphs. He has worked for MLB teams, most recently the Atlanta Braves. He is the co-author of the book Future Value with Eric Langenhagen, and he is currently a baseball insider with ESPN. Please help me welcome Kylie McDaniel to the show. Kylie, how are we doing today? Doing well. I, I feel like it's already gotten too stiff with like the formal announcements and whatnot. Can we talk <laughs> about what producer it sounded like made the uh, the beat we had at the beginning? It sounded like Lex Luger, but he was uh, on some sort of downers. <laughs> I, it's it slaps, man. I mean, I, I'm. I liked it. I was like, if the tempo was up like 10%, I would download it if you made it. Available. Is that, so we've talked about this before. Is that a workout track? Like, is that something? Yeah, that it's not did? quite there, but okay. here's the problem. I've run into this issue. I, I already, as you may know, or people listening, I already talk a little too fast, speak a little too fast, I guess. Uh, and I listen to podcasts habitually on like 1.8 times. Nice. And so all I'm hearing is people talking really fast in my ear, like all day. And so then I hear a song, especially if it's a song that was on a podcast, I am used to hearing it where it like speeds through it. And it sounds like, you know, like it's been warped in a way. And so now I think I hear like normal tempo music and I think you should speed it up, like get to the point already guys, yeah. which is probably yeah. not healthy. Yeah, that's fair. I, we did, uh, we've done two podcasts together and I'm just remembering this, that we talked about for like a good hour and a half. I think we talked baseball for about 10 minutes of it. And then I was going to bring this up if you didn't. Yeah. And then like an hour of it was about Kendrick Lamar because we did a podcast when that control verse dropped yeah. and it's still, it's still something I go back to. Like I still go back not to listen to the podcast cause I don't think I can find it, but I definitely go back. I don't to know listen it to, yeah. I definitely go back and listen to that control verse. Um, it's aged pretty well. Yeah. It's it's on the workout mix. It's like, you know, a lot of songs, so I don't get it every time because you, you, know, you got to keep it fresh. But yeah, I still listen. To that. And part of me is like, why was this so groundbreaking and like such a diss that like he was like, I want to be better than everybody else. It's like, that's kind of like the premise of anything that's competitive. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, I guess no one had said that in such a long time since. I mean, I'm sure someone did it between like, you know, big, big and Pac and stuff. Right. But it was like, that was normal then. Yeah. And then there was a long period where it became less and less normal. And then Kendrick said, everyone's like, oh man, look at yeah. that. I think it was mostly the New York thing. Like a bunch of the New York rappers who honestly weren't very good, got very upset that people were um, claiming that he was the best rapper in New York. And you know what? Kendrick Lamar is the best rapper in New York, Los Angeles, Istanbul. Where, where um, is that? 
on behalf of the best rapper of all time, Jay Electronica, we were offended by that verse. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, he's got to be so happy he was included in that now. <laughs> yeah. You know, Pitchfork gave his last album a pretty good review, and Pitchfork I saw that. Was, I didn't listen to yeah. it, but I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, maybe he's delivering yeah. on the promise." Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have to check that out, and we'll we'll have you on the podcast in like August or something like that to talk about it. So I have to ask you this first question. I've asked every person on the podcast this question. It's very important. Do you have any hot takes about St. Louis pizza? I mean, I am aware that it is its own thing. I don't think I've experienced it enough to have a hot take about it. Other than oh, like so I read the Wikipedia page when I heard someone mention it. And I was like, what's that? So have you experienced it before then? I don't think so. Okay. okay. Is it so one of those that could like, it's like a variation of one of the known styles. So you might've had it and not realized it. Maybe like the big thing about it is, is there's cheese called Provel, which is a fake process. I already don't like it. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't sound Italian to me. There you go. It is very much not Italian. My good buddy Drew Silva compares it to pizza nachos, which, you know, some people mm-hmm. think, yep, see, that's the fake. Yeah. Some people that's hear bad. that and go, mm. And it sounds like you're doing it. an Applebee's commercial right now. Do you <laughs> like cheeseburgers? Do you like pizza? It's like, I know where this is going and I don't like it. So it's like that the the girl who drinks the kombucha, it's like that. If, if your face goes, mm, do it then we're probably not going to be able to be friends. But if your face is like, oh, that sounds terrible. Um, yeah. And I'm like more open to hearing about this if it isn't presented as pizza. Like I I don't have like the distaste a lot of people have for the Chicago style, but if it was presented to me as like casserole that has the ingredients of pizza, sure. you know, almost like it's, uh, you know, like a Hot Pocket or something, like make yeah. it a different thing, but give me the same thing that you're calling pizza, I'd probably like it. All right, so now we're going to call that we're going to call that a negative view, and we're one positive, and of course, and it was someone from St. Louis for negative. Yeah, that's Keith, biased. Keith Law still the most negative by far so far on it. Big shock there, I know. And I will say one, the the other sorts of pizza I've heard about, like people will bring up, like the Connecticut one, which, as far as I can tell, is just a flavor. It's like the same thing as New York. They just put like clams and white sauce on it. Yeah. I'm like, that's not its own thing. That's like a place has a flavor of pizza. It's not the <laughs> yes. whole states stands on pizza and there's too many of these that have been brought up that is whereas like the southern barbecue flavors where it's like you know this one's mustard based this one's vinegar based this one's molasses based like those are different and there's like six of them and like that's okay but yeah like we like it with white sauce i'm like they have white sauce in new york dudes like (laughs) they they really do yeah we don't need this many they really do Uh, is that it we're just gonna do like pizza and wrap yeah that's exactly what it is uh thanks everybody for joining it was a lot of fun uh so the first real question for you is we have been doing uh, what we do for a very long time. It, se- it doesn't seem as long sometimes, and sometimes it feels like a lot longer. And I think we've seen prospect coverage kind of explode in the last couple of years for a variety of reasons. One reason being dynasty and keeper formats are becoming more and more popular. Two, it's a little easier. It's not like you had to go get Baseball America and hope you find like an advertisement for it in a newspaper. Remember newspapers? Uh, And also, I think the other thing that's been huge lately is the card industry is just exploding. So a lot of people are asking. I was going to say, whenever people ask me, I say cards and fantasy leagues. Those are the two things. You can tell 90% of my questions. You can tell by how it's worded. It's one of those two. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think in, in your time how how much has this changed like over let's say over the last five years just how much different is it covering prospects right now well i remember starting out reading like the 
like the paper baseball America like magazines. Sure. Um, Cause I think by the time I, I had like read the book Moneyball, I was interning for a team where those would be like around. Uh, I mean like minor league teams, not like real jobs. Right. Uh, those would be around like six months later. So it was just like, oh, that was my entry into it. And then, you know, you buy the prospect handbook or whatever it was. And I would, I would notice that I, A, didn't have any friends, other, <laughs> didn't have any friends. Uh, I didn't have any friends <laughs> that like were doing this unless right. I met them while working for a baseball team. And like, what, 80% of people working at a minor league team are just like, this is cooler than working at a bar is like sure. kind of their vibe. Right. And I'll be like, hey, you know that, like Johnny Cueto's on the field. Like that was one of the guys that was, you know, playing minor league ball. It was like him and Jay Bruce and Carlos Carrasco. I think we're all playing each other the year that I was working for the Clearwater Phillies. And I mentioned to the guy that I had been talking to about like baseball. And he was like, what are you talking about, man? Like baseball's the place <laughs> where I go drink. And I was like, all right, moving on. Uh, but it, I remember reading those and like, like you know, reading Jim Callis's Q, uh, Q&A, like mailbag things and like learning about the 2080 scale and like figuring out like, oh, I could read this report and tell you if this is a top 100 prospect or not just by how the report reads, which, you know, takes a year or two or so to figure that out. And I would notice that I would have like questions like, you know, they called this 60 a plus and then they called this like 65 not plus and not plus plus like a 65 its own thing like just little things like that where they're just like these days there's so many, there's like a proliferation of all these sort of explainers and like you know i remember i put like the future value scale out there and now i see like sites i've never heard of popping up that have their own spin on the future value scale which i'm like it's not that i own the thing like i took it from the pirates but it's like clearly like people gravitated to that as like some sort of standard once it got out there. And I did it for eight years and didn't have that because I didn't work for the Pirates at that point. So I, okay. I didn't have, so it was just like, to answer your question, there's been like that sort of compounding of it where at the very beginning it was like you had to read 14 issues of the Baseball America like paper magazine to be able to answer like these sorts of questions that would be just like a standard kid in college writes a 2000 word primer on scouting on, you know, prospects for dummies.com or whatever it is. And I feel like there's like a hundred of these. And back then it was, I mean, I feel like we're talking, I already feel super old the way I'm explaining this, but <laughs> there were just little things, little technical things like that, that I would want to understand and like learn how to scout and like, well, how far do you hit the ball in BP to be a 70? Like I'd have to read this guy's a 70 and then see the guy the next week to feel confident that I was seeing that. And there's, it just didn't exist. And now there's just like a video from five years ago of everyone in the big leagues. It's just so much easier to figure that stuff out if you're curious enough, which there's probably a lot more people that are curious about it too. Yeah, that, I think that's the big thing is I think that the interest is peaked. And I, I do think too, like the interest obviously has obviously increased as it, it's social media. There's just more of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like there, it's more obvious what people are interested in. But I think it's been very fascinating to see it grow. This was such when I started uh, writing articles for good old prospectinsider.com back in 2009. My first article was about Dustin Ackley moving to second base. So, oh boy, how'd that uh, one go? Uh, went, the second base part went great. Everything else went pretty bad. Um, but uh, yeah, and I would also uh, say the uh, people that are getting into it, say in 2012 or 2013, when I was like sort of hitting my stride they could then read about it and say like, oh, so-and-so wrote this at Baseball Prospectus, a place where six people have gotten jobs at big league teams. And so right. like, as people were getting into it 10 years ago, sure. there was like a career path to go to a team. And so now I feel like a lot of the proliferation outside of people that are very into fantasy or cards is like, oh, I want to be a scout. 12 people have been hired as scouts off the internet. I'll just do what they did, which is like pretty smart. Whereas, you know, going back to before 2010, it's like it kind of hadn't happened. It was only numbers guys and there were no scouts. And then I guess when Keith showed up was kind of the first time that there was an exchange between online scouting and like being with a team. And then obviously sure. it's exploded since then. Yeah. The, uh, 
the overall point here is Keith Law is very, very old. Um, <laughs> We're not old. He's old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dang straight. Uh, speaking of prospects that a lot of people talk about, let's let's start the show with the, the guy, Wander Franco, the guy who is pretty much the, not pretty much, the consensus top prospect in baseball, currently hitting in AAA and looking at the numbers right now, hitting 276, 341 with an OPS of 854. Keep in mind, he is doing this as a player that doesn't turn 21 until March. So I won't ask you if Wander Franco is good because one, the answer is unknown yet. And two, it's You're pretty You're going to ask if I should buy his Bowman Chromes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, I've, I've got a Gem Mint 10 paper that uh, I will sell to anybody who is looking. No, I'm just kidding. I won't sell it. Um, my question for you about Wander Franco is, I think we know that the ceiling is pretty high here. What kind of floor do you think Wander Franco has? So this was like when he had his big, I'm looking at his numbers now. So the after his 2018 uh, Appy League debut, sure, um, where it was more walks and strikeouts as a 17-year-old. which Unbelievable. Like, I, if you would have asked me, I would have known the answer was yes, that's what he did. But it's just <laughs> wild to see it. Yeah. Uh, the reason that the reports were so glowing then, which I think he basically got on everybody's top 100 in the middle of this happening, um, is because the floor was so low. It was because it was like, well – it's going to be infield or center field at worst. Like maybe he's not a shortstop. You know, things can happen. He's like compact, whatever. Uh, maybe he loses a step. Maybe his arm goes from a 60 to a 55. Maybe second, third center uh, or really good corner guy. But it's like there will be some defensive value. There will be some speed evident on the bases and defensively. There will be at least, you know, four in-game power. And he will be at least a four or five hitter. This just based on what he's done as a 17-year-old. And it's like – that's like a guy that is worthy of being on your 40-man roster, might break with the big league team right now. Not right. that like that's what you should do with that guy. Right. But the idea was basically within a couple of years when he's, you know, gotten a full season ball and done a few things, it's like this guy is already uh, it's almost impossible to imagine him not being a solid backup, which at 17 is usually this guy doesn't really know how to play baseball, but he's super toolsy. Or this guy's really good at baseball, but like all of his tools are below average. That's what most 17-year-olds outside of like a couple dozen on earth are. And he had already like, you know, obviously the tools are way above that because of, you know, what kind of guy he was when he signed, all that kind of thing. But also that level of performance, it's like, I don't know, like less than 10 guys in the history of baseball, as far as I know, have like ever done that sort of performance thing. And like a lot of them are like sort of, you know, second round high school guys that rip up, you know, short season and then they kind of fall apart in double A. Like those sorts of guys can also do that sort of thing, but not at that age and not with those kinds of tools. So right. all I have to say, the sort of allure to him has always been that there is like a real floor. And I would say at this point, the floor is what, like solid average everyday guy with a plus season here and there. Like that's pretty much the worst he can do short of like losing a limb or something. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's just the talking about it is it's so impressive. Like, honestly, probably the best prospect that I've covered in my time doing this outside of like Mike Trout. I was a little bit early on for, and Byron Buxton is still the most talented player I've seen. But when you combine the floor and ceiling, I think Wander Franco might be that top guy. Um, you look at uh, the the lack of success of Joe Adele last year, and I think there's obvious reasons why some of that stuff went wrong. And you look at Jared Kelnick has got off to kind of a slow start. Um, is Wander Franco talk, talk fantasy managers out of why those type of things shouldn't manager. If the shouldn't manager shouldn't matter if they're considering him as a fantasy player this year. I don't know when it started, like who the first guy was that changed that perception. But at right. some point there was like X player, 
was the number one or top five prospect in baseball. And then he came up and basically won rookie of the year. And I feel like once that happened a couple times, like, yeah. you know, people knew his name the day he was called up on SportsCenter, like, you know, that level of hype and then gets delivered on. Like, it, it, Tatis wasn't the first guy. Acuna wasn't the first guy. Like, it was definitely before that. I don't know when it happened. Um, I think also, like, the number one overall pick QB in the draft wins rookie of the year, that kind of thing. Like, it happened a few times in a couple sure. sports. And you see, like, the, you know, this guy's rookie card is, you know, like Jason Dominguez, like, the first thing I heard after – his card came out. I didn't realize that was happening. It was just sort of like, oh, he's already like outpacing Wander Franco. And I'm like, you're like hoping he's that good. Why is this <laughs> exactly. happening? Yeah. And then that's when I real. and then obviously during the pandemic, I had a bunch of friends asking me about cards because they're just like, oh, who should I buy? And I'm like, well, here's a couple guys that I wrote. Like, I think, you know, Riley Green was the guy I kept saying, like, I think we'll be in the top 10 of my list next year. I wrote it on the list. Um, but it was like, it, it then appeared that whether for fantasy reasons, for card reasons, for just the people watching SportsCenter but not reading these lists, just want to know a name sure. the same way they want to know who's going to be the number one pick next year's draft uh, in the in the NFL draft, like who's the next quarterback so I can watch him in college. It just got to the point where hype was more important than actual performance. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's wild to me that like a very casual NFL fan knows way more about Trevor Lawrence than they do about like the 28th best starting quarterback they've watched on TV a few times. Sure. <laughs> and that's, I think, like I said, I think it's a little bit of fantasy and it's a little bit of sort of sports center things. And uh, it's a little bit of fantasy stuff. And it's also like sort of posturing at the bar. Like anybody can watch the game and tell you who the backup is on this team. Not everybody knows who the best prospect is. Um, so yeah, I think because of all that, like, you know, meta big picture stuff happening, I think got to the point where once like, Oh, Acuna and Tatis did it this year. People just kind of conveniently forget the guys that didn't do it that year. It's just like, oh, the expectation that this guy will be one of the all-time greats because you had him in the same spot on a list as an as a guy that now looks like an all-time great, like those sorts of guys. And obviously that is not how it works all the time, but they could no. still be – like Kelnick could still be a Hall of Famer, guys. Like this doesn't really change anything. No. No, it's, I mean that's the thing is we're all very fickle and we all want – and, you know, like you said, Acuna and, and Juan Soto especially, like what he did, I think, uh, coming out of double A and then just automatically being one of the best hitters in baseball. And the, the guy – sometimes I, I get uh, people asking me to compare these two players actually. Uh, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners is currently in high A for reasons that are kind of specious. The Mariners are apparently wanting to keep these prospects together. He's torn the cover off the ball there. Uh, he's They're trying between... to manage his high A service time. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to, <laughs> to get up there too fast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, don't want Super 2 in Arkansas. Uh, hitting 325-413 with a 1.013 OPS, five homers, also stolen four bases. I know you've liked Julio Rodriguez for a long time. What type of fantasy upside are we looking at with a prospect like Julio Rodriguez? So this is tricky. Uh, you <laughs> can get out of hand with a guy like this where yeah. it's big exit velos, big performance essentially hasn't failed. Uh, but it's also a corner guy. So it's like, if he doesn't hit, it gets similar to Adele. It's like, well, it's corner guy. If he hits like 240 and strikes out a little too much and you got to send him down, then it's like, oh no, like how was way off. But then it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, there is, I don't know what the chances are. It's called a, a, like a 2% chance that he's like Aaron judge. Like that's on the board, and the reason, like some a casual fan that is watching this, hello, uh, that knows his name, it's because there's a two percent chance he's Aaron Judge, and the guy that's like ninety fifth on the top one hundred has essentially a zero percent chance of being Aaron Judge. Um, so, like that's the reason he's there. I would be. I think he might be in uh, what I call the Louis Robert Louis Brunson nexus, oh. which is. Uh, 
Lewis Brinson and Louis Robert, their tools are not wildly different. They both performed with big tools and young in AAA. Obviously, one has been very good in the big leagues, and one has been, like, almost laugh out loud, historically hilariously bad. Right. Now, what's the difference between those two guys? It's basically that, like, Lewis Robert has better bat control and overall athleticism and twitch and things like that so that he can take advantage of having a not great approach. And Lewis Brinson did not. That is not obvious in AAA. They basically had to play in the big leagues to make that obvious. Right. I still remember a conversation I had with a buddy who asked me for his fantasy team, should I pick up Lewis Brinson or Cody Bellinger? And I didn't see the text, so I didn't answer for a few days. And he texted me back and said, I picked up Lewis Brinson, because you generally tell me when picking a guy in the upper minors, pick a guy with a lower strikeout rate, which I think generally is good advice. It turned out Brinson actually had a lower strikeout rate than Cody Bellinger, because Bellinger was basically doing an impression of what he's doing right now with like huge bat speed and huge power. And so it's basically, that's going to, because of the physical tools, he's going to have a 25% strikeout rate at every level, but hit home runs everywhere. And because of what Brinson was doing, that's going to like spike at every level and obviously didn't work out. So I think Julio is like, obviously closer to the high end of that. Like Acuna was sort of like this too. Luis Roberts sort of like this. Bellinger was sort of like this, where it's like, what he does I think is going to work. Joe Adele, I think also generally fits in here, but it's like, I don't know how well it's going to work. And the margins are pretty small between the Joe Adele, Lewis Brinson, Luis Robert, Ronald Acuna. He's on that spectrum. And I would bet the over of like the median of those things, but like that's the spectrum he's on. And right. so seeing him in double A, triple A to get a little better idea of, oh, is this guy just going to demolish triple A pitching to the point where we don't even really know where the limits are? We're going to find out in the big leagues. Finding out in the big leagues is pretty risky because yeah. <laughs> like it can look real bad. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's a great point. Like there is the, the upside there is it's palpable. Like you can, you can see, you watch this guy swing and there's, it's pretty clear that this guy has got pretty impressive power. And I think he's going to hit for a decent average. But the question is, is how is he? Like it's, I guess this is the question about with all prospects too, is, is how they're going to make adjustments. And since you brought up Joe Adele, let's talk about him for just a second, because he's currently, I believe he's hit 10 homers in AAA, clearly a guy who has made, I don't know if adjustments is the right term, but how much, like how much, especially like with the shortened campaign and with what was going on with the pandemic and stuff, how much should we just ignore what we saw from Joe Adele in 2020? So the thing that I wrote, I believe this was at Fangrass uh, on his last sort of top 100 capsule, is I was, he was the guy that I really dove deep on, and I was asking a bunch of analysts in front offices, like, what, how do you line this up? Because once you get to the level where, like, a guy can't be traded, uh, then guys don't mind telling you what they think about him. Whereas, like, if a guy's, like, you know, French top 100, they're like, ah, I don't want to tell you exactly what I think. Sure. Because, um, like, who knows? We might get this guy. Um, and with Adele, it was, I believe, I'll have to look it up. You can Google it. It's on Fangraphs. I wrote it. It's like a year and a half ago, whatever. Uh, I believe his swing and miss in zone rate was in the bottom 5% of everyone in AAA wow. the year that he was in AAA. So that would have been 2019. He played 27 games in AAA. So small sample, uh, 32% strikeout rate. And apparently it was even worse. Cause he had a 410 BABIP. So it was like the results are actually decent. It was a 67 WRC plus with a 410 BABIP. So it wow. gives you an idea yeah. of what was going on there. Uh, for fans that don't know what those numbers mean, it means he was incredibly lucky and was still bad. Yeah. Um, so imagine if he was not lucky. So yeah. the point was – and then and then the same person was explaining to me, like he had uh, comparable numbers early at every level. So it's basically like this guy has a steep learning curve at each level because of the way he sort of does it, which is, like I'm saying, the sort of high-risk – Pitch selection isn't great. Not bat is in the zone a long time, but he's going to hit the crap out of the ball and hit a bunch of home runs once he settles in. And their point was like, I think he needs to spend another full year in AAA, 
And then I think he will have like mastered that level and then he can go to the big leagues. And what happened is he didn't go back to AAA. He went to the big leagues and was, wait for it, a lot worse. Yeah. And so now he's back in AAA, has played another 18 games, and is doing roughly what you thought he would do, hitting for power but striking out and have super high bat. But he's also hitting the ball really hard too. So the bat is somewhat sustainable. Um, so I think what he needs to do is spend at least half a year in AAA, I think kind of find a level there. And maybe the thing that, it, you know, the, the functional adjustment to his approach or his hands – or whatever it is that gets him to that level in AAA that gets him closer to like the 50 percentile in in zone swing and miss rate in AAA, maybe the thing that allows him to say hit at the level of Luis Robert, but not obviously have the same defensive ability and not be the same kind of player. Like I think we're in that part of this journey now of like I don't think AAA tells us much, but I think AAA will help him when he goes back up. That definitely makes sense. So before we get into the second half of our show, I do have a special offer for our listeners. Use promo code BASIS10 for 10% off any premium subscription from NBC Sports Edge Plus. It can be either monthly or annually and can be used on any tier. Not only do you get access to the baseball season tools, but your subscription also covers the NBA, Go Sonics, NHL, Go Kraken, NFL, Go Seahawks. So it's a great value. It can help you not just with baseball, but if you have your hand in all sports. So remember, it's promo code BASIS10, and you can go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash premium to get started. And also make sure you're checking out the new NBC Sports Edge app. It features a clean new look with fantastic information, as well as the ability to customize that information for any sport that you play. Just search for NBC Sports Edge in either the Apple Store or the Google Play App Store. And finally, NBC Sports Edge wants to remind you that Red Nose Day is Thursday, May 27th. Find out how you can donate to life-changing programs for children living in poverty at www.rednoseday.org. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So let's talk about some MLB draft because this has been something Kylie and I have been passionate about for a long time. Just uh, an article 20 minutes ago about this. So you can yeah. get a sneak preview. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, uh, this is a class I kind of have gone back and forth on. I really like the class uh, on paper. And again, on paper is only means so much. Uh, but uh, kind of was disappointed with the class a couple of weeks ago. I talked to Keith about this, that it, it probably wasn't the greatest class. But now I'm kind of starting to come around on it uh, compared to a few of the last few classes, Kylie, how would you rank this class? So the way I have described this is the very top of the draft does not have the like 
slam dunk. I won't even say generational because I feel like we're calling guys generational like every two years. And I'm like, generations <laughs> are way longer than that. Um, <laughs> the, the generations are speeding up. Um, it, it's like a Tamagotchi generation. So cool. the very tippy top of the draft does not have the like, oh, my God, 1-1 one, one, uh, slam dunk, like, you know, whatever guy, however you want to phrase that, the Bryce Harper, Strasburg, David Price, whoever it is. I don't think we've had that guy in a couple years now. Um, and I would even say compared to past years, the very top of the draft is fine, but I wouldn't say my top two guys are Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Mayer, the two high school shortstops. You could obviously throw a lighter in that if you want to. He's probably the third guy. Um, I don't think they're definitely like they'd go one, one over the last, you know, five seasons or whatever. Right. Um, so because the top of the draft is like, I would say kind of average, maybe a touch below scouts like to be pessimistic. So they always say things are worse than they are. I think it's probably average. Yeah. And then I feel like the top tier of like, I feel really good about this guy, um, which is obviously subjective, but this whole thing is subjective. Right. I feel like it drops off at about eight or 10. And I feel like you can be at like pick 12 and see who's there. And you're just like, these guys should all be going about 20. Like where's the eight guys we're missing from 12 to 20. Right. And I feel like most drafts that's like around 17 or so. So as like another subjective measure of things, I feel like there's like uh, that second tier isn't quite there. And then we just jump straight from that mediocre relative to other classes, top tier to like essentially a third tier. And there's probably gonna be a lot of really good players in that area. But just in terms of like how we'll feel about them on draft day, I feel like the depth isn't quite as good. The top end isn't quite as good, but it's also not like hilariously bad. It's just like perfectly fine. I, th I think that's fair. I think one of the things that's most interesting, especially from a fantasy perspective, is the shortstops, and you mentioned two of them in Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer. But there's also Brady House, and there is also Khalil Watson. Um, of those four, I'm going to make you put on, on your fantasy baseball cap, Kylie, um, by the way. I don't have any hats I, around here. I'll put I, it on an imaginary I, 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 was, I was just going to say, that hair is too perfectly coiffed to put a on a hat right now anyway. So I'm totally well, if only you knew. <laughs> but uh, if, if you were picking between those four, who has the highest fantasy upside of Lawler, Meyer, House, and Watson? I'm still workshopping my takes um, for the uh, various TV things where, you know, the, it'll be a helmet here. It'll be a tie here. <laughs> nice. and I'll be pounding the table and say, you know, just really getting into it. I, yeah. I think this will be my take on draft day that Brady house has the highest upside of anyone in the drafts. Okay. And so I think for fantasy purposes and as a way for, again, if we're talking about, I'm assuming we have more casual fans listening to this than, than there even are just so I don't feel like I have to like talk no. about people's heads. I'll, right. I'll like talk down just a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if you are a fan of Bobby Witt Jr., which I feel like almost anyone watching this probably is, where you're just like, all right, yeah, huge power, like good shortstop, you know, electric bats. And then people like me, the Fuddy Duddies, are like, I don't know if he's going to make enough contact. Maybe he'll only be Trevor Story. Like, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to say. Brady House is probably the most, if you go back, seven drafts and then forward to this one and maybe a couple other ones. Cause it, you know, we're decent people with nice couple drafts are, this is the closest thing to Bobby Witt jr. And Bobby Witt is a plus shortstop. And I think house will probably be an average to slightly below one, maybe a third baseman where he'll be above over there, but you know, roughly in that area, I think the bat speed, the track record, the exit velos, the raw power, uh, the sort of concern about will he make enough contact, that kind of thing. That's all basically the same. Uh, I think there's a chance that this is a above average to plus defensive third baseman who hits 30 to 40 homers and has like enough contact and, and pitch selection to sort of get to it, which is, I mean, maybe it's not quite Arenado. Maybe it's like a little more power, a little less defense. Maybe 
I don't want to like start comparing him to like Scott Rowland and Nolan Arenado and like, Oh, Corey Seager, like all these guys. It's like, it's in that general area of guy. If this hits the way that it could. So would you say that maybe he has the lowest floor of those four guys or would oh, you yeah. say? He, yeah. Of those guys, he has by far the most questions on the hit tool. And I would say like the floor would probably be some version of like Austin Beck who went what sixth overall three years ago. Yeah. And he came with like almost no amateur track record. It was just a spring. He didn't even have the summer. So that was like as risky as it gets projecting a bat. But there's like some same characteristics there. And Brady House also hasn't had like crazy high contact rates even over the summer. It's just been fine, but he gets to the power. The exit fields are crazy, which is essentially what Bobby Wood also did. So, yeah, there's a chance that Austin Beck never plays like a meaningful multiple seasons in the big leagues. Like he just sort of is a guy on the 40 man roster. There's a chance Brady House is that too. Whereas those other three guys, it's like hard to imagine that they don't become like a useful big leaguer of some kind, even like like a utility platoon guy. So every draft class, it seems, has that that left-hander who is deemed the safe prospect. And it also seems like every draft class, that safe lefty either ends up being way better than we expected or ends up being nothing. And I guess that's true about a lot of draft prospects because of the subjective nature and everything that can happen. But the one that a lot of people ask me about is Jordan Wicks at Kansas State. Um, is this like is like comparing him to like a Reed Detmers? Is this a lefty who has a chance to be a fast track guy or are we underselling the upside? What are you, what are your thoughts on Jordan Wicks? I'm wondering how deep your inbox is. You're getting a lot of questions about Jordan Wicks. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, pre- I'm, pre- I'm pretty famous. I mean, I, okay. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I people mean, don't have my email address. Yeah. Sorry, sir. Uh, but it's yeah. Chris Crawford at NBC.com. That's correct. That's actually correct. But yeah. <laughs> oh, is it? I was just guessing. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's a couple different letters, but it's pretty close. Um, so I would say if you really like him, uh, scouts will compare him to like Marco Gonzalez, who I think they're both supposed to go in the same area, like around 20th, I would say 15 to 25 would kind of be the range I would get for Wicks. Um, Gonzalez was a plus athlete with about the same stuff. And Wicks is almost 22 years old, not a plus athlete. And I think the breaking ball is a little behind Gonzalez. So I don't think he's quite there. I think Detmers, um, he basically like every sort of intangible, like competitiveness, uh, I guess we'll call command and intangible, uh, durability, track record, like all these sorts of things. He isn't like on the scouting card. Denver's was fantastic at all of them. And then the raw stuff, like similar to like Mackenzie Gore, it's like the stuff like plays at least a notch higher than like how it grades out. I, I see Denver's is probably like 50 to maybe a couple 55s and each of them play sort of a grade better because of like the separation of their movement and the command and sequencing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think Wix doesn't have quite that level of sort of intangible things on his side. He's got the plus changeup. He's got a fringed average slider. And at his best, he'll be like two to four and touch a six or seven. But most of the spring, he's been like 90, 93, which I guess is probably about average for a lefty starter these days, maybe a little below, maybe a little above. So it's basically like decent command plus changeup. I would say you're expecting a fourth starter and especially with me sort of explaining how there wasn't like a second tier of the draft. Like if a guy's getting to 15 to 25, which I think in most years would be a little later than that, you can't think this guy's going to be like Reed Detmers or a three starter. Uh, you kind of have to think it's like, ah, it's like a not super exciting, but it'll probably move pretty quickly. Not a ton of risk. Like we think he'll be a four outside shot of three. We're not expecting. And like, if things really go poorly, it'll be like a long man or whatever. Um, so yeah, he's, as I believe you started this question, the, the unexciting lefty. I confirm he's an unexciting lefty. 
As, as a fellow lefty, I, I don't love that that descriptor, but I, I do understand that. Maybe you're an exciting lefty. I, I'm somewhere in between. Uh, Maybe open of, an emporium for <laughs> items for other lefties. Uh, you know, there should be a TV show that's on for way too long that should uh, explore this subject. Um, the most famous draft prospects, and again, famous draft prospects sometimes seems like an oxymoron, are, but becoming more and more popular, partly because of what they've done, partly because of where they go to school, are... Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. And Jack Leiter has put up absolutely sensational numbers this year, and Kumar Rocker has missed a ton of bats. Uh, but I do think at this point, uh, Leiter has pretty clearly, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you if this is true or not, uh, uh, separated himself as the better prospect right now. But if we're talking just pure fantasy upside, do you think you can make an arg argument that Rocker is the better fantasy prospect? He could end up being better because when we're projecting stuff, you know, three or four years in the future, like anything can happen. Right. I, I don't see how you would make that case because I think Lighter is, I guess you could argue that because of Rocker's um, durability history, which has been positive, and his size, that he's more durable than Lighter, who doesn't have quite as many sort of college innings and is a little slighter and smaller. I These days I feel like there's like a little bit of a movement within – more anal analysis than scouting that like shorter pitchers, all things being equal are healthier because they're more compact and sort of fewer moving parts. So like, I'm not even sure that's true, but if you wanted to, you could make a case that rocker would be more durable and in pro ball, he will sort of regain that um, velocity, which hasn't quite been there consistently this year. And he's going to have a comparable breaking ball to lighter and that they'll be able to, you know, get, maybe get a little better out of his conditioning and command, but that's like, expecting two or three things to happen that haven't really been happening. And with Lighter, I actually uh, submitted some stuff for a video feature we're doing for Lighter and Rocker, and they asked me to like do some comps. And the two comps I had for Lighter, which obviously they're not perfect, it's like he's going to be these guys. They're like, who is a starter in the big leagues right now that is similar to him and why? And I said Bueller, who I think is the best single comp, because it's like obviously he's not the same guy. I'll have some things to improve, like command. But it's like four-seamer at the top of the zone, curveball down, slider to the side of the zone, occasional changeup, power attack coming at you, like sort of optimized in a way. They're kind of doing the same thing. And I mentioned Bauer, which obviously they got some personality things that aren't the same. Yeah. Uh, but he's another guy that's doing sort of the same thing, like high slot, forcing up, like all those sorts of things. And the usage is pretty similar. And with Rocker, I came up with um, Herman Marquez and Joe Musgrove. Interesting. Marquez, I think, is if, if Rocker just keeps doing what he's doing right now, He'll end up something like Marquez, where it's like not a ton of swings and misses, but it's forcing fastball. It's effective. It's slider and curveball, and not a lot of changeups. And he's like a solid mid-rotation guy. Sometimes he's a number two, sometimes he's number three, and that kind. And it's also like a bigger, durable guy. And then Musgrove is what he does if he goes to maybe a more progressive team, and they're like, "You're not going to get enough swings and misses with your four seamer. Let's lean into breaking balls and cutters, and like work around that limitation, as opposed to Marquez kind of leaning into it and being like, "We'll just take what this gives us." Um, so again, for like sort of fantasy purposes, I think that may be useful to give you an idea of what you should expect. I think you want all four of those guys, but if you're like upside, it's like, yeah, Bueller and Bauer is a lot more what you want. And I also did an ACE rankings where I just said, like, everybody talks about ACEs, but nobody tells you who the ACEs are. And they were both on there. So nice. there's two guys that look like ACEs or lighters comps. And then two guys that are like probably underappreciated, pretty good two or three or rockers comps. That kind of gives you an idea of like what I what I think he's going to be most likely. But you're saying is there a chance Rogers better? Like sure, there's like I don't know, thirty percent chance he's better. They're still going to go close to each other. Yeah. 
Well, that is awesome information, and that is also going to do it for us. Kylie, promote whatever the heck you want to promote, as long as you mentioned that NBC is an awesome network as well. I'm trying to do the math on like all the corporate partners involved in this thing. Uh, <laughs> Disney Plus, uh, people don't know about it. They should watch it. <laughs> I, I hope it can survive, man. I mean, like it's the little things. Like I just really hope yeah. that that can that can. They're just going. giving it away for free. They're dropping like free codes out of helicopters, just trying to get people to sign up. Yes. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Kylie MCD or Kylie McD. And then pretty much everything else I do will be on there. Like when an article comes out, I'll tweet it out. If you want to go to ESPN.com slash MLB, there's some stuff across the top, like the, the what is it, the toolbar, where it'll have like, uh, you know, drop downs for like prospect stuff and draft stuff if you just want to find a couple specific things or, you know, that sort of stuff. But yeah, my Twitter should uh, should should point you in all the various directions. And oh, and also uh, Future Value, the book you mentioned yeah. that I wrote with Eric Longenhagen. It's coming out in paperback, uh, I think in like two weeks. I've got a bunch of them. If you come by the house, if you can identify where my house is based off of this, I'll just hand you one. We got a box in the mail, and I, I got to get rid of these things. I'm on my way. That's going to do it for us. I thank Kylie again for taking part. We'll have a special guest again next Thursday, but stay tuned tomorrow for Mr. Short and Mr. Silva as they'll try to match the magic of the show. Good luck. They'll also be live as well. Again, you can follow Kylie on Twitter at Kylie McD or MCD. Sounds kind of like I'm doing uh, like Roman numerals. And you can follow me at Crawford underscore MILB. So thank you again. And if you're listening to the show and you want to give us a rating, five stars is what we prefer. Thanks again for listening and stay safe, everybody. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.